0: Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. During this Christmas season, I want to conclude a two-part series from Christian history on two of the earliest heroes of the post-apostolic church. I believe it's terribly important for us to know something of those who came before us and how the gospel has been handed down to us. And there is an enormous amount of illiteracy in the pews about church history. And so from time to time, I would like to address that on my podcast and in my blog. Last week, we looked at Ignatius of Antioch. If you missed that episode, you might want to go back and give it a listen. Today, our second and last hero for this brief series of two is Polycarp of Smyrna. The two men knew each other and both served as leaders in the church in the waning days of the Apostle John at the end of the apostolic era. We'll get to polycarp in just a moment, but first, another way to study Christian history is by knowing the history of our hymnody. Do you know that I have a video study course called Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns? In this video series, I take my worship leader and you His name is Chris Hooper, through my favorite hymns. And I want to teach the history of worship and why we should retain the greatness of our hymnody. I also have another course. This one is related to the future. It's called The 50 Final Events in World History, it's a study of the book of Revelation. Well, these courses cost something to produce, and so we have them for availability and for sale on my website. But how would you like to get them for half price? Through New Year's Day, you can get these and the other video courses we have for half off using the coupon code CHRISTMAS. You'll find these and all of my other courses in the Courses tab of my website, robertjmorgan.com, and use the coupon code CHRISTMAS. For half off of any or all of them. Well, today, as I said, I want to introduce you to someone that you should know a man who lived 1900 years ago named Polycarp. And we can begin our study here with a scripture. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8 which is a message from Jesus to the church in Smyrna. We'll get to that in just a moment. Today, the city of Smyrna is called Izmir, and it's just a few miles, 50 miles or so from Ephesus. I remember once flying into the airport in Izmir to visit both Ephesus and the ruins of ancient Smyrna. Well, the apostle John was the bishop of the churches in this entire region, which was basically the Asian or the Eastern Church. And at some point late in his life, he appointed his disciple Polycarp to have a similar role in Smyrna to be the leader of that church 50 miles away. Polycarp was probably a already in place as bishop there when the church received the book of Revelation, written by John, who had been exiled on the island of Patmos. In Revelation, the aged apostle John received all of this information from the Lord about the last days. He put it into this book of Revelation. And the chapters 2 and 3 near the beginning of the book are miniature epistles or messages to seven of the primary churches that John would have had a circuit among in Asia Minor, and one of those was the church in Smyrna. And as I said, it's likely that the pastor or the bishop there who would have received and read this letter, and in fact been one of the first people in history to have read the book of Revelation, was Polycarp. You might be thinking that he has a funny name, Polycarp. What does it mean? it sounds like many fish polycarp but you know that isn't so far away and the greek polycarpos means many fruit or much fruit now to me this is very interesting i'm speculating a little bit here but when the apostle john wrote the gospel of john he quoted jesus as saying in john chapter 15 and verse 5 i am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, in the Greek, John wrote the phrase, and it's reversed here because of the way the Greek language works, karpon polon, that is fruit much. It is fruit defined by this same word, but it's exactly the same two terms. It means much fruit. Parley uh, or Polycarpus, and it makes me wonder if Polycarp was this man's original name or did John at this man's baptism or maybe at his ordination into the ministry give him a verse especially from Jesus for his life from John chapter 15 and designate him at, with the name Polycarp, a man who would bear much fruit for the master. When I realized that was the meaning of Polycarp and the, perhaps the, the source that it came from, I sort of wished that I'd been named Polycarp. Oh, that we might all be Polycarp, bearing much fruit for the master. Well, when John appointed Polycarp as the head of the church in Smyrna, the population of that city was probably about 100,000. It was a large city of tremendous wealth and beauty and architecture. We know something about it. Now, much of the ruins of ancient Smyrna are under the streets of Izmir, and so we don't have as much as we do of some places, but we know that there, was a typical, that there were some typical Roman features to this city, a gymnasium, a stadium, a theater, and especially there were several temples dedicated to Roman gods and to the Roman emperors. This wasn't true in all cities, but it was true there, and it plays a role later in Polycarp's life. This was a place of imperial worship. This city also had a harbor on the Aegean, and we know that it had a massive agora or a marketplace. But apparently, despite the splendor of the city, the church was made up of people who were poverty-stricken, and they were facing the prospect of persecution. We gather that from Revelation chapter two. So in Revelation, the Lord Jesus had only commendation in his message to the church in Smyrna in chapter two. There is no criticism of this church, which was probably at the time under Polycarp's leadership, but only encouragement. But there is an acknowledgement that they are poor. There is the stating of the reality that actually they are very rich and there is a warning which proved to be prophetic about persecution. So that's rather enriching background. I hope you've sort of taken in all of that as a background for this paragraph. But now let's go right to the Bible and read Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give your life as your victor's crown." Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So just imagine Polycarp receiving this communication from John and reading that to his church there in Smyrna. Well, we also know a great deal more about Polycarp. He had been born shortly after Peter and Paul had been executed in Rome probably in the late 60s or maybe very early 70s of the first century. As a young man, he had heard the apostle John and was converted to Christ and mentored through John's ministry and probably the ministries of others who, like John, were eyewitnesses of our Lord and were still alive. We know all of that because we have an interesting description of Polycarp's ministry from an eyewitness named Irenaeus or Irenaeus. I think it's really amazing that we actually have a description of someone who lived at the very beginning of Christian history and who walked and knew, walked with, and knew the Apostle John. So here's what Irenaeus wrote to a friend about Polycarp. He said, when I was a boy, I saw you in Lower Asia with Polycarp. I recall the events of that time more clearly than those of recent years, for the things you learn in childhood grow in the soul and are united with it. I am able to describe the very place in which the blessed Polycarp sat as he preached and taught his comings and his goings, the character of his life, his physical appearance, his speeches to the multitudes, and the accounts which he gave of his interactions with John and with the others who had seen the Lord. I also recall when he remembered their words and what he heard from them concerning the Lord, concerning his miracles and teachings. What Polycarp then received from eyewitnesses of the word of life, he related in his entirety in harmony with the scriptures. By the mercy of God, I listened to these things attentively, noting them down, not on paper, but in my heart. By the grace of God, I always recall them faithfully. That's the description of Polycarp, which Irenaeus uh, remembered as he thought back to when he was younger, And he would hear and listen to this famous disciple of the great disciple, John. Well, after the death of John, Polycarp continued on in Smyrna. And he was probably between 30 and 40 years of age when Ignatius of Antioch, who I told you about last week, passed through Smyrna on his way to Rome to be executed. And one of his letters, as you may recall, was to Polycarp. I was going to quote from it, but... It would make this episode too long, but you can go back and check last week's episode. You can also research all of this, of course, on your own. But now here's something else. From another source, we have something more about Polycarp. In the early church, there began to be divisions between the church in Asia and the one in Europe. In Asia, the primary church was Ephesus and all of that Asia Minor region and going around to Syria and Any Christians, there might have still been in Judea, and the church growing towards uh, the flanks of Asia, all of that was primarily Greek-speaking, and the center for it all was Ephesus. But in the West, the primary church was that of Rome. The uh, letter to the Romans Paul wrote to the center of the Roman Empire, the great capital city of Rome, and there was a bishop in the city of Rome. Now, these, this division would later become very significant in Christian history. The major division in church history within the church is between the Eastern or Orthodox Church and the Western Church or the Catholic Church as it came to be, and then later there was a split between the Protestants and the Catholics and the Western Church. But these divisions between the East and the West began very early, and one of them involved the disagreement they had about the dating of Easter. Should the resurrection of Christ be a fixed day or a movable day on the calendar? Now let me sort of give you an example of how practical a question this is. I was born on Thursday, May 29th, 1952. And every year I celebrate my birthday, not necessarily on a Thursday, but always on May 29th. This coming year, it will fall on a Sunday. Well, Jesus rose from the dead during the Passover weekend on the Jewish calendar, and he rose on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, but the actual anniversary of his resurrection doesn't always fall on a Sunday. So when should it be commemorated? When should the church gather to celebrate it? And John And the Eastern Church had one way, but the church in Rome was observing it differently. And so there was some disagreement about this. So Polycarp traveled to Rome to discuss this and other matters with his counterpart there, the Bishop of Rome, who was Bishop Anicetus. A-N-I-C-E-T-U-S, Anicetus. And here's what we read from the historian Eusebius. When the blessed Polycarp was in Rome in the time of Anicetus, and they disagreed a little about certain other things, they immediately made peace with one another, not caring to quarrel over this matter. For neither could Anicetus persuade Polycarp not to observe what he had always observed with John, the disciple of our Lord, and the other apostles with whom he associated, neither could Polycarp persuade Anicetus to observe it. So, in other words, they didn't agree about this issue, but they agreed to disagree on it. It wasn't a major issue. It wasn't a major doctrine. It was an area in which Christians could disagree. But on the major doctrines, we know that Polycarp, just like John, was inflexible. He could not tolerate that diluting of our essential Christian doctrine. And we know this because of one story related to us by Eusebius, the great church historian. Polycarp once met a false teacher on the street and the teacher's name was Marcion. They bumped into one another and Marcion said to him, don't you recognize me? And Polycarp reportedly answered, I do indeed. I recognize the firstborn of Satan. Well, we know from his other writings that Polycarp was very intent on preserving the doctrines that had been handed down to him. So we have all of this about Polycarp. But now here's another question. We have all of that about Polycarp, but do we have anything by him? Do any of his writings still exist? And I'm so excited to say yes. We have one letter still extant from the hand of Polycarp, not the actual original version, but we have records of it, that he wrote to the church of the Philippians, the same church which had been started by the Apostle Paul perhaps a half century earlier. Now, I don't have time to read you very much of this letter, but I'll give some excerpts from you. So this is from the letter from Polycarp to the Philippians. He said, Polycarp and the presbyters with him write to the Church of God at Philippi. May mercy and peace from God Almighty and from Jesus Christ the Savior be multiplied to you. I rejoice because the firm root of your faith proclaimed from ancient times remains even now and is bearing fruit for our Lord Jesus Christ. He patiently endured for our sins even to the point of death. It was he that God raised from the dead, having undone the pangs of hell. Even though you do not see him, you believe in him with an ineffable joy that is full of glory. Now, if that last sentence sounds familiar, he is quoting here from the book of Second Peter. And a little later, Polycarp quoted the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And he also quoted Paul, showing us that Polycarp had access to all of these New Testament writings. This is very important. These are ancient writings from the first century quoted by a man who is alive at the end of the first and at the beginning of the second century. Polycarp continued, Neither I nor anyone like me is able to emulate the wisdom of the blessed and glorious Apostle Paul who, when he came among you in person, taught the message of the truth accurately and firmly. When absent, he wrote you letters by which, if you study them closely, you can be built up further in the faith that he has given you. Now, Polycarp also quoted from his own mentor, John, from John's first epistle, saying, "...everyone who does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is an antichrist." That's from 1 John chapter 4. And Polycarp also quoted this from Peter, or if rather from Paul, uh, what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, the, root, the love of money is the root of every kind of evil. Therefore, since we know that just as we brought nothing into this world so we can carry nothing out, let us arm ourselves with the armor of righteousness. Polycarp went on to say, if we please him in this present world, we will also receive the future world. After all, he has promised us that he will raise us from the dead and that if we live worthy of him, we will also reign with him. Let the young men, he said, be blameless in everything. Let them be especially careful to preserve purity and rein themselves in as though they had a bridle from every kind of evil, for it is good that they should be removed from the lusts that are in this world, since every lust wars against the spirit. Neither the sexually immoral, the effeminate, nor homosexuals shall inherit the kingdom of God, nor shall those who do things that are inconsistent and inappropriate with the holiness of God. He said, I exhort you, all of you, to yield obedience to the word of righteousness and to exercise all patience such as you have seen before your eyes, not only in the case of the blessed Ignatius, Sosimus, Rufus, and also among yourselves— He's quoting some of the contemporary leaders that he knew, but also in Paul himself and the rest of the apostles. He said, We are assured that these all have not run in vain, but in faith and righteousness, that they are now in their due place in the presence of the Lord with whom they also suffered, for they did not love this present world, but him who died for us and for our sakes and was raised again by God from the dead. And Polycarp continued, Uh, or I should say he concluded his epistle with a benediction. He said, May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself, who is the Son of God and our everlasting high priest, build you up in faith, truth, meekness, gentleness, patience, endurance, forbearance, and purity. So we have all of this about and even from the hand of Polycarp but we know one other thing as well. We know how he died. We have a text, a document, dating from about 160 called The Martyrdom of Polycarp. Now, Polycarp, at the time of his death, was 86 years old and was probably the last surviving person to have seen the apostle John in the flesh. Well, Again, this document is too long for me to quote very much, but let me give you just some sections of it because it is one of our most graphic pictures of the death of one of our earliest heroes in the Christian story. The writer began by describing the kinds of persecutions that were taking place at that time. He said, All the martyrdoms which God allowed to happen were blessed and noble who could not admire, who could not but admire their honor, their patience and their love for the Lord. They were whipped to shreds till their veins and arteries were exposed and still endured patiently while even those that stood by them cried for them. They had such courage that none of them let out a sigh or a groan proving that when they suffered such torments, they were absent from their bodies, or rather, that the Lord Jesus stood beside them and talked with them through their suffering. In the same way, those who were condemned to the wild beast endured dreadful torture. Some were stretched out on beds of spikes. Others were subjected to all kinds of torments, all in the devil's attempt to make them deny Christ. And the writer goes on to describe... Then what happened to Polycarp in particular, when Roman soldiers descended on the city of Smyrna to persecute the believers? This document says, The redutable Polycarp was not in the least upset and was happy to stay in the city, but eventually he was persuaded to leave. He went to friends in the nearby countryside. Those who were looking for him were coming near, so he left for another house. They immediately followed him, but when they could not find him, they seized two young men from his own household and tortured them into confession. The police and horsemen found Polycarp lying down in the upper room of a cottage. He could have escaped, but he refused, saying, God's will be done. When he heard that they had come, he went down and spoke with them. They were amazed at his age and steadfastness, And some of them said, why did we go to such trouble to capture a man like this? Immediately, he called for food and drink for them and asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted. They agreed, and he stood and prayed, and so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. The men were astonished, and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly and venerable old man. When he finished praying, they put him on a donkey, and took him into the city. They took him to the great arena or stadium or colosseum. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, saying, "'Have respect for your old age. "'Swear by the fortune of Caesar. "'Reproach Christ, and I will set you free.'" Eighty-six years have I served him, Polycarp described, or he declared. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? I have wild animals here, the proconsul said. I will throw them to you if you do not repent. Call them on, Polycarp replied. If you despise the animals, I will have you burned. Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. It was all done, the document says, in the time that it takes to tell. The crowd collected wood and bundles of sticks from the shops and public baths. When the pile was ready, Polycarp took off his outer clothes, undid his belt, and tried to take off his sandals. They bound him with his hands behind him like a distinguished ram, chosen from the great flock for sacrifice. He looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your blessed and devoted son Jesus Christ, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice. I bless you and glorify you, along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved son to you with him through the Holy Ghost, be glory both now and forever. Amen. The document says, Then the fire was lit, and the flames blazed furiously. We who were privileged to witness it saw a great miracle, and this is why we have been preserved to tell the story. The fire shaped itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind, and formed a circle around the body of the martyr. Inside it he looked not like flesh that is burned, but like bread that is baked, or gold and silver glowing in a furnace, and we smelt a sweet scent like frankincense or some other such precious spices. Later, we collected his bones, more precious than jewels and better purified than gold, and put them in an appropriate place where, the Lord willing, we shall celebrate the birthday of his martyrdom each year with joy and rejoicing, both to remember those who have run their race and to prepare those yet to walk in their steps. And this document, the martyrdom of Polycarp, concludes saying he was not merely an illustrious teacher but also a preeminent martyr whose death all desire to imitate, being altogether consistent with the gospel of Christ. Having overcome the unjust governor with patience and acquired the crown of immortality, he now with the apostles and all the righteous glorifies God the Father with joy and blesses our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls." Well, that's the story of Polycarp, and I hope you've enjoyed hearing about Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp of Smyrna, and that you'll want to study more about the heroes of Christian history. Lord willing, from time to time, I want to dip into this fascinating story of the history of the church and share some of it with you. Now, for a daily story from Christian history, I do have a resource that I can send to you for free. Years ago, I wrote a book called On This Day in Christian History, and it's out of print now, but the publisher has said that I can give it away free, a book given free in one day increments, telling you 365 stories like polycarps from Christian history in your inbox every day. So go to the homepage of my website, robertjmorgan.com, and scroll down to the bottom of that homepage. You'll see a link-up sign uh, or a link that says Daily Devotions from Christian History, and you can just punch that link and sign up for a daily email from my book, On This Day in Christian History. The segments are not as long, not nearly as long as what I've given you today, but each one is the story of some hero or some martyr or some event that took place over the 2,000 years of Christian history, and it's good for us to know about that because it enables us to go forward with patience and victory in our own treacherous days. Well, thank you for joining me with this Uh, podcast and especially for those two for these uh, two episodes I hope that you've enjoyed them as much as I have this is Robert J. Morgan and the Robert J. Morgan podcast it is produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media the music is by Elijah Rowe podcast editing is by Courtney Warner proofreading is Sherry Anderson and blog editing is Luke Tyler For all of our resources, go to my website, robertjmorgan.com. And until next time, may the Lord bless you until we meet again.